Let me invite you to join me, if you would, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the human body really is an amazing thing. As you know, it consists of many parts. For example, uh, you have many bones in your body. There are something like 270 bones in an infant, uh, some of which eventually fuse together so that the adult skeleton is made up of 206 bones. Uh, the hand alone has 27 and the foot has 26. Question for you. Can you name all of the bones in your body? Uh, there may be one or two of you that can, but I would imagine that most of you cannot. And if given the option to just get rid of one of those bones, how many of you would be like, oh, yes, please, I would love to just get rid of my femur. Or I would love to get rid of this, or I would love to get that. I would imagine you want every single bone that God has given you in your body. Uh, you also have muscles. There are something like 600 muscles in the human body, depending on who's counting. And there are three main types of muscle. Uh, at least that's my understanding. You have skeletal muscle and you have smooth muscle and cardiac muscle. Your skeletal muscle would be uh, the muscles that help you uh, move your arms and your legs and things like that. Uh, smooth muscle, I'm not as familiar with that, but I think th those would be your more internal muscles and your involuntary muscles, the type of things that uh, just help you breathe. And your cardiac muscle, uh, the muscle specific to the heart. How many of you could name all 600 muscles within your body? I doubt anyone here could do that. Um, but again, are there any muscles that you would be happy to part with? Sure, I, my bicep, I mean, it's not vital that I have a bicep. So sure, I'll just be glad to give it up. Um, I doubt any of you want to lose a muscle or a quadricep or, or whatever it may be. You also have organs. There's something like 78 organs within the body. If you ask me how many organs are in the body, I'd probably guess, I don't know, only 15, 25 78. Um, while all of them are important, five of those organs are considered vital, the heart, the brain, the kidneys, the liver, and the lungs. I would imagine, again, that you can't name all 78 of those organs. You probably don't even know what half of them really do. And are there any of those organs that you would be happy to part with if given the option? The human body consists of hundreds of different parts, and however many of them... Uh, there may be, and though there are many, many of them, there are many that we actually just take for granted. Most of us don't even know what they are or what they do, but they are essential to the body. What is true of the physical body is also true of Christ's body, the church. And as with our human bodies, we have a tendency to naturally minimize certain members of the body. Our text today confronts that type of mentality. Each member, uh, not just the uh, quote-unquote official members of the church, but each member of Christ's body, the church, has been sewn into the fabric of the whole. Every single one by God and is essential to it. And the Corinthians needed a couple of anatomy, anatomy lessons about Christ's body, and I think we do too. God perfectly composed the body of Christ. This is God's doing. And bringing several individuals together within a body and sewing them together in a way that they are intricately woven in a way that really is not intended to be separated. We turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 26. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, this morning, we want to consider two church anatomy lessons from this text. What does God say about the anatomy of his body, the church of Jesus Christ? Well, first lesson, each member is one with the body. Now, as I said before, each member of Christ's body has been sewn into the fabric of the whole by the hand of God himself. Verses 12 to 13 focus on the unity aspect of Christ's body. You have to view it as a collective whole. And though there are many individual members of the church, the body is one. All the individual parts are connected as one, inseparable. Uh, Look again at verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ, and and so it is with Christ. That phrase seems to be uh, kind of shorthand for so it is with Christ's body. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 13 explains to us just how it came to be uh, that the body of Christ was sewn together as one by the Spirit of God. How is it that all the people sitting in this room here at Beaumont Baptist Church were sewn together as one? Or how, how might that be true of a church um, across town or on the other side of the globe? Or how might that be true of, of God's church everywhere? The universal body of Christ. The Spirit of God did something to each of us so that we might say we actually have two shared experiences What are those two shared experiences? Well, the first experience that we share is that the Spirit made us one body by saving us. Verse 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. That phrase does not appear to be a literal reference to uh, water baptism, though the Bible uh, clearly teaches this idea of baptism. But the way it's used here, it seems to be used as a metaphor, as, as well with the next phrase about drinking something. It seems to be used as a metaphor for salvation, perhaps specifically the Spirit's work of regeneration uh, or what we might call the new birth, people being born again by the Spirit of God. The text does not say in water we were all baptized 
What does it say? The text says, in one spirit, we were all baptized. And the idea that the text is conveying there is that we were plunged or we were immersed by Jesus into the spirit of God. John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 33, he he describes the baptism that he was doing. He says, he who sent me to baptize with water. Okay, so how's he baptizing? He's baptizing people in water. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. And he's referring to Jesus. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John's making a contrast. I baptize with water. In water. Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize with or in the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Jesus immersing us into the Spirit of God. It's some kind of metaphor for our salvation. And whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, the Spirit gave each of us life. And by so doing, he brought us into the same body. The church. There's a second shared experience, though. It's not just that uh, we might say that we were plunged into the Spirit. We were also made to drink of Him. We were sent into the Spirit, and the Spirit was sent into us. That's shared experience number two. The Spirit made us one body by indwelling us. Verse 13 continues Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, it doesn't matter. Uh, What your ethnicity is, it doesn't matter. Uh, Your social status, whether you're slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. At the moment of salvation, you and I received the same indwelling spirit of God. Drink's not being used there literally. It's, It's a metaphor for something that's happening. Receiving the spirit of God. He is in me and he is in you. And he is your, in your brothers and sisters in this room, the people sitting here today. And he's in your brothers and sisters uh, across town and in the greater Edmonton uh, region and in our province. And he's in your brothers and sisters across the globe. He's in each of us. And so God is teaching here, this is what I've done for you. I've brought you all together through the work of the Spirit of God. We are one body, Christ's body, the church. Uh, the Spirit is often... Uh, referred to as well, the, the word translated spirit means spirit, wind, or breath. So you have this idea of air. And if you were to think of, of that idea and what's been taught in these verses, you think there, the spirit of God is um, all, all around us, all around us, so to speak, and yet he's in us. Um, it, 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 when Christ saved us, we read about how uh, we were we, became, we were in Christ and Christ came in us. And the same is true of the Spirit of God. Making each member one with the body. Uh, what should that mean in everyday life? Well, what it should mean is that we should be a people who are very much united. Uh, God has united us in salvation. He's united us through the work of the Spirit of God and placing the Spirit of God within us. We should be a united people here at Beaumont Baptist Church. We should be able to get along. We should love each other. We should care for one another. And there should also be even a unity that's seen across denominational lines with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And sure, there are reasons why you have denominations and and certain aspects of theology that may be held very strongly by this denomination and not that one, or or places where denominations may have some uh, strongly different viewpoints and yet still hold to the same gospel. 
still saved by the Spirit of God and the work of Jesus Christ and have the Spirit of God indwelling them, we have to recognize that. There should be some kind of strong unity, even across denominational lines. We turn now to a second church anatomy lesson, though, and before we do that, I think it's important to remind yourself, as you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's in a larger section. It's in the middle of a larger section of text that's all about spiritual gifts. And if you were here last week, hopefully you can remember what a spiritual gift is. What is a spiritual gift? Is it some talent you have? or What is it? A spiritual gift, very simply, is a ministry function. It's a ministry function of a member of Christ's body for the sake of the rest of the body. It's some way, shape, or form that God has enabled you to function in ministry within your local assembly. Each member of our physical bodies has a function. And likewise, each member of the church has a function or functions. We all have these things called gifts, spiritual gifts. Ways in which that God has graced us to function within our church for the benefit of the body. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to a second church anatomy lesson. Number two, each member is essential to the body. That's the key lesson that's going to run all the way from verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Each member is essential to the body. And that starts with you, Paul says. You are essential to the body of Christ. You know, you may sit here today and think, I don't, I'm not You might think that you're not essential uh, to Beaumont Baptist Church, but you are. Or you might even think that you're not needed here, but you are. According to God, you belong to the body. Look at verses 14 to 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Uh, In these verses, you have parts of the body that are being personified. They're talking. And what is it that they're saying? Well, the foot says, I'm not the hand. And concludes, I don't belong here. I'm not needed here. And and maybe the foot thinks, you know, the hand touches and comforts people and it, it reaches out and it seizes things and it grabs things and it does things. It picks up things and gets things done. But the foot, the foot's kind of calloused and it tends to smell. And most of the time it's hidden within a shoe. And then the ear says, well, I'm not an eye. I don't belong. I, I'm not needed here. You know, the eye is beautiful and it's, it's set forward on the front of the face and you look into someone's eyes and they, they sparkle and eyes are beautiful and they see. But the ear, it's nothing to behold. Instead of being out front and forward on the face, it's been set off to the side, gathering wax oftentimes. I hope your ears are clean this morning. Some of you will tell yourselves that you don't belong to this particular local body of believers and that you don't really fit here and that you don't really have a function or a place and that you're not really needed. And perhaps the reason that you think that is because what God has actually done for you and for this church is he gave you 
a unique or diverse ministry gift. Or a gift that's not very flashy. Uh, it's, not very, it's not the type of thing that captures people's attention per se. He's not giving you a very flashy ministry gift or function, but that does not mean that you do not belong to the body and that you're not needed here. Uh, these verses say, after these parts of the body say, well, I don't belong. The, the verses say, well, that would not make it, you, any less a part of the body. You can say what you want and you can think what you, you want, but God says that you belong to the body. Uh, we've got some Mr. Potato Heads around our house. You probably have some. I tripped over one. We have toys all over the place in our house. I'm all the time tripping over toys. And this week I was walking to my office and kicked a Mr. Potato Head on the ground by accident. It wasn't on purpose. But there was Mr. Potato Head and the parts flying everywhere. And I think sometimes we, we can look at the, the church and we can look at ourselves. And here we are, just in here. You know, a big pink Mr. Potato Head here. What, what good am I here? And really don't see um, the great need and, and, and the reason that God has done what he has done. That God has not made you some isolated part of the body that's not needed. Like a Mr. Potato Head, whether he has the ears or not, who cares? And if the ears in the nose hole or the mouth hole, nobody, it's, it's kind of fun that way. But God has designed the church body that you can't just take parts out and, and, and that be okay. Or parts not functioning, you're just this isolated part. It doesn't work that way. And also of interesting note on, on these verses that we've just considered here. The charismatic movement sometimes says that you are not really truly a part of the body unless something has happened to you. Unless you have some great spiritual gift like speaking in tongues until the Spirit has come upon you a second time and that has happened. Or if you don't do this or that, then you must not be truly Spirit-filled and empowered. But according to this text... Actually, not every person has every spiritual gift, and that's by God's design. But we all have the Spirit of God. And so you're not some type of second-class uh, citizen within the body because you don't have this gift or you don't have that gift. No, it doesn't work that way. You are essential to the body. You belong to the body. And with that belonging to the body, you have a role to play. Look at verses 17 to 20. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body we're given a really funny picture there uh, in those verses. It's the picture of the church, not as a, a, an entire body, but basically as one giant eyeball or one massive giant ear. And it's what it really is, it's the picture of a monster or some type of monstrosity. The question that verse 17 asks is this, if the whole body were an eye, if that was the case, if that's what your church looked like, where would be the sense of hearing? You know, if God gave us all the same ministry function and an ability to function the same way in ministry, we would be seriously lacking as a church. We would be a deprived body. In fact, verse 20 says, it's not just that we would lack a, a certain sense like hearing or seeing or smelling. No, he actually goes as far as to say, it's not just that we would lack one of those things or one of those functions. There would be no body 
at all, period. There's a reason that God did not make you an eye. Why? So that there would be an ear. And there's a reason that God didn't make you a hand. Why? So that there would be a foot. God made the body with many parts that all function in very, very different ways, and they are all important. If you don't exercise your ministry gift or function here at Beaumont Baptist Church, let me tell you based on this text what that means. It means that our church is going to lack something very important. And maybe I could word it even a little stronger. That means that our church is going to lack something that God actually graced or gifted you to provide as a grace gift to his entire body. A couple of months ago, on a Sunday morning before church, I, I walked off out the back, uh, onto the back porch of our home and noticed bloody paw prints there on the back porch. And it was our cat. I, I found her where she was hiding, and she had her front leg all tucked up really close to her body. I actually thought that she had lost most of it because she, she had it so uh, tucked up close to her body. She looked awful. And I say that, but cats normally do, at least in my opinion. Uh, but if you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. I do love our cats. But uh, apparently she got tangled up with a coyote or something in the middle of the night. And as I looked, when I eventually got a closer look at her paw and lower leg, it had basically been uh, cleaned down to the bone. It looked like she got tangled up with a coyote and she pulled her leg and the coyote bit and pulled the other way. I mean, it, it was gross. I could see broken bones. And her paw had actually been uh, separated, kind of in the palm of her paw, and it was going two different directions. And she's since healed up, in case you're worried or wondering about her. Um, And remarkably, I mean, cats are amazing creatures. She is functioning at a relatively high level. I mean, she really is. But there's no question that for our cat, she's been reduced. There are things that she could do if she had four legs that she's not doing right now. She's, she's much slower. She'll run around with her other cat and you know, the, the other one just pounces on her and she can't really do it in return. She no longer bolts 10 feet straight up a tree. I mean, you watch a cat just boom, straight up a tree in a split second. She doesn't do that. She no longer uh, pops up on, on the rails of her fence to, to one of the top rails and sits and overlooks the field and watches the mouse and just pounces and grabs it. We haven't seen her do any of those things. And yet she's functioning at a relatively high level. As you look around, I think what you will see here at Beaumont Baptist Church is a functioning body of believers. And you belong to it. And I hope what you see is a body that's functioning at a certain level that's good and is great. But the fact of the matter is, is without you functioning as God has graced you to do, our whole body is reduced. You are essential to the body of Christ right here at Beaumont Baptist Church. Every single person. And I would caution you, don't deny or minimize your place in the body. God is the one who has arranged all this and gifted and Uh, people and giving them different functions and roles don't minimize or deny your place within the body and maybe a couple thoughts here on churches in in transition and growth Um, maybe a a word or two to those of you who are newer here at Beaumont Baptist Church Uh, I just want to say change can be really hard and some of you are sitting here and the reason you're here uh, not that far in your past you're at an at another church with another body of believers probably functioning there 
And maybe having done so for years with those people and people that you love and, and doing uh, great commission work together. And change can be really hard. And I just want to recognize that and also let you know that we have a place for you right here at Beaumont Baptist Church. If this is where God has led you and this is where God has brought you, then we have a place for you here at Beaumont Baptist Church and for your spiritual gifts. God does. And so let's work together and let's figure that out. And you know what? That may take some time. Um, but if you're committed to using your gift and you say, you know, I believe that God wants me to function with a local body of believers and that God has a place for me somewhere. If that's your heart and, and behind that is a humility that God, I just want to serve you. There's a place for you here. And we're committed to helping that happen and, and want to work with you in that. And maybe for those, some of you who have uh, been around our church for some time, something happens, I think, uh, as churches are in transition and growth. As new people come into a body, and maybe you've seen this uh, in church settings before, as new people start to come in, it's easy for those who have been around for a while to think, oh, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, fresh meat around here. Maybe that's <laughs> not the best way to word that. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of fresh meat here. I, I can retreat into the shadows now while these other people step forward and, and do something. And that would be a terrible, terrible way to think. Or, or maybe think, oh, now that there are new people here, which means that I'm no longer needed or my ministry gift or function <clears throat> is not needed. Please remember that the more people there are in a church, the more ministry there is. And I think sometimes what happens in, in churches, and I, I've personally been a part of very small churches and very large ones in my life. And I think sometimes what happens is a church grows and, and even particularly gets quite large that sometimes you actually see people's use of their spiritual gifts go down. Um, and, and churches don't often grow well in that sense. Church is not some kind of preaching or worship event. It's a body of people all sewn together by God, functioning for the sake of God's glory and their brother's good and the advance of the Great Commission. In a word or two on change, I've seen in churches sometimes where it almost appears that people have tied their particular spiritual gift <clears throat> to a program or an event or something very specific. And as always happens in church, there's change. And sometimes what happens with that change is whatever that program or, or event or, or ministry function was, it seems like that's been pulled away or taken away or, or we're no longer going to do that anymore. We're going to do this instead. And if that program stops, sometimes people think that their gift died with it. But that's not true. And often what's important as, as churches are, are changing and growing and developing, it's important for all of us to recognize God has given me ways that I, that I should function. And at times God needs to, to redeploy me with that function somewhere else in the same body. And if your place for, for some reason isn't here at Beaumont Baptist Church, and we recognize that that may be the case. You know, there are many other good churches uh, in the area, and we recognize that. We certainly don't think we're it. But if for some reason your place isn't here, and it may not be, then there is a body somewhere that needs you. And I would encourage you, you need to get there. And you need to get there in a timely fashion, and you need to start functioning with that body quickly. And it's important to pick your church well. You don't want to do that in great haste, but it is important to do that. And I, I need to be a functioning member 
of this body. You are essential to the body of Christ. And guess what else? Your brother is essential to the body of Christ. It's easy for one member of the body to look at another member of the body and think, you know what? We could do without that person. <laughs> you know, like, if they left, yeah, we'd probably be okay. We could do without that person, or we could get along just fine without that person functioning or in the body. Uh, what they do, it's really not that important. It doesn't add that much. And such a mentality, God would just say that is categorically wrong. You should treat your brother as indispensable. Look at verses 21 to 22. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. Why should you treat your brother and his ministry gifts as indispensable? Because he is. And so is his function. And not only is he or she indispensable to the entire body, but the language of this text argues actually that that person is indispensable to you personally. It's not just in this verse that the body needs the hand. The whole body needs the hand. No, that's not the language of the text. The language of the text is that the I, the individual member, needs the hand. You cannot say that you don't need some other member of the body. You do. And there is a God-arranged mutual dependence within the body. That is how God has set things up. He's sewn us together and he has made us mutually dependent. That is the reality. There's a famous old poem that uh, some of you may be familiar with that captures the great significance of what we often personally deem insignificant. And it's called For Want of a Nail. And it goes like this. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. And for want of a shoe, the horse was lost. And for want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message... The battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. In church life, uh, that poem could maybe be reworded something like this. For want of a toe, the foot couldn't function. And for want of a foot, the leg couldn't function. And for want of a leg, the back couldn't function. And for want of a back, the neck couldn't function. And for want of a neck, the head couldn't function. And for want of a head, the church was lost, and all for the want of a little, small toe. Really? Every ministry function within the body of Christ is significant. And God is just hammering that in three paragraphs in a row. You depend on your brother's contribution. And so you should treat your brother as indispensable. And, and because he is... Uh, that's You should treat him that way. And also, you should treat your brother with honor. Look at verses 23 and 24. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Um, according to these verses, there are parts of the body that due to their nature should be covered. And it's actually 
uh, by covering them, their covering that demonstrates just how valuable and significant and honorable they really are. It's a bit unclear what exactly God has in mind here. Uh, God may be referring to our internal organs when he talks about these parts that he mentions in these verses. Your internal organs are extremely important. Yet if you think about them, on the other hand, they're simultaneously pretty weak and vulnerable. There's a reason that your heart is not attached uh, like your hands are externally on the outside of your body. Your hands might get pretty beat up, especially depending on, on what job you work in, right? There's a reason your heart is not attached like your hands to the outside of your body. Rather, we might even say of our hearts that they are housed within a cage inside your body. The great value and significance of your heart is seen by the way that God has covered it and protected it and put it within your ribcage. So these verses may be referring to something, our internal organs. It's possible they're also referring to our reproductive parts. There are some parts of the human body that we understand uh, by their very nature, they're private. And it's actually the clothing of those parts that accords them great honor. To do the opposite would be something that would be shameful. And yet without them, the body would not be able to reproduce itself. The body would die. The human race wouldn't continue. Just because a ministry function isn't public, public, visible, or flashy doesn't mean that it's not essential. You remember, uh, I think it's very important that you remember that as you consider your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you treat them with the greatest honor as God does, does, no matter what their ministry function is, no matter how big and important it may look, or flashy it may seem, God says it's valuable. And that member of the body is honorable and should be honored. Also, you should relate to your brother in unity. Look at verse 25. Uh, we, we would ask the question, why has God um, sewn us all together like this? Why has God arranged the body in a way that the body is mutually interdependent? Why? Well, look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. Why did God sew us all together just like he did with the human body? Why did he make us uh, mutually dependent as he has done in the church? So that there would be no division among us. God did something to help bring us together, not drive us apart. God has made it so that we can't get along without each other. We absolutely depend on one another. And that also means we depend on you. We all depend on each other. And that mutual dependence should have a unifying effect in God's design. And also God has done this so that you would treat your brother with care. Look at verses 25 and 26. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. If every member's function in the body is essential, as this text argues that it is, then every member of the body should be treated with equal care and concern, every single one. And because we are one, everything we experience, whether that be suffering, pain, or joy, or a great triumph, that's something we share together. Just like in your physical body, one part of your body hurts, that affects the whole. And you celebrate, you do that in your entire being. 
What we experience, we experience together as one. God's sewing together of our church constrains us, even out of necessity, to care for one another. You should treat your brother with care. Uh, Napoleon, who no doubt placed immense value on things like great, mighty captains and conquerors. Things like war horses and weaponry. Famously quipped that an army marches on its stomach. Not its strong legs, not its great captains, not its great horses, not, not its really strong, mighty men. An army marches forward on its stomach. God's people find the energy and strength to march forward as each member of the body, including those whose functions seem less important, are cared for by the rest of the body. Each member is essential to the body. That includes you. That includes your brother or sister in Christ. God's made it so. God perfectly composed the body of Christ. And this text, I think, mentions that two times. It's God who's done this. It's God who's sewn us all together and given people, brought people together in local assemblies and given them different ministry functions and ways that they can serve and ways that they can do that verbally with their lips and with their words and ways that they can do that with their hands and their feet and um, verbal and nonverbal ministry functions. In recent weeks, I would imagine that many of you have watched Olympians compete uh, at really just top-notch levels. And you've watched them do amazing things, really amazing things, at, at record speeds and in record ways. What does that require? When you watch an athlete doing something in a record way, at a record speed, what does that take of his body? Well, what if that athlete has an arm that doesn't work? And it doesn't even matter what type of athlete they are. It's not gonna, they're not going to be able to do what they could do. And also, as you look at Olympians, you see them. Um, it's not just, okay, I'm a swimmer, so I spend all my time focusing on my swimming muscles and trying to get faster as a swimmer. Is that all a swimmer does to prepare for the Olympics? Does he just care for his swimming muscles and, and the swimming, so to speak, part of his body? Well, no, he would recognize that if I want to swim well and I want to be fast, maybe I need to cross train. Like I, maybe I'm not just going to swim. Maybe I'm also going to run and I'm going to cycle. But he's not just doing those muscle type of things. He goes, I need to eat well. And I need to eat this many calories every day. And I need to not eat that. And I need to eat this. I need to care for what's going on inside as well as what's going on outside. And we just turn on the TV. We watch the Olympics and we go, Wow. But what's happening with that Olympian, they're using every member of their body in, in the highest possible way to the greatest possible capacity, and they're caring for the whole. And if our church is going to function like God wants it to function, then we have to do the same thing. Every member matters, and every member plays their part, and the whole body is cared for. In God's eyes, that is extremely, extremely important. And I hope that we will be a high-functioning body. Not that we'll just be a church that, you know, we're functioning at a relatively high level or something like that. No, we're, everybody's functioning. And it's amazing work of the Spirit of God. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes at this